Free updates. And the subjective value of games. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett, back and alongside me, Mr. Sawbridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 103. You know, I will never not miss banging on the table. I know that we don't do it for the purpose of the people who are listening, having it literally just boom through the mic, but it was fun to do. It was fun to do. So anyway. For you, I mean. Yeah. From, yeah. You could feel it. You were living vicariously through me. Like, I just, I wish I could be the one to hit the table. You said that another time in that <laughs> phrase, living vicariously through me. And I'm not, I remember what we were talking about. I don't remember, but you know, I mean, it's a common phrase. So anyway, like I said, we are Triangle Square Day PlayStation podcast. You can find us in video format uh, on YouTube every Monday at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST. If you like what we're doing over there, hit the subscription button uh, or subscribe button and hit the little bell. Let you know when these episodes go live, which we said it's every Monday and then every other Friday for reader mail, as long as as well as some other stuff that's getting really close to hitting. I feel weird saying that because we do this every week, so it sounds like we're saying that a lot, but we are getting a lot closer to the. We got a name now. That was actually a big that source was the of contention. Part. It was Narcast, yeah. but now it's something else. Yeah, we're going to keep that on the DL. Uh, but with that said, yeah, you, you know, if you want to subscribe to us and see everything we're doing, not just this show, you can definitely do so. Uh, and the notification bell will let you know what those are. If you like what we're talking about or have any thoughts about the topics that we talk about, we would love to see your thoughts down in the comments below on YouTube. Uh, and we will use them in our new segment that we're doing, which is, uh, I'm calling it the community's take. So that's going to be a, a, sub, a, a section that we do of the podcast before we get into news and the drop uh, and it's going to kind of look back on other episodes and see points that people have brought back up about certain things that we've talked about um, and we think that's a good way of kind of getting some community interaction in these episodes with our new style and new format with reader mail being out uh, so if you want to do that like I said go down in those comments let us know your thoughts if you want to listen to us only in audio format you can do so on Google Play Music iTunes doesn't matter any kind of podcast service be it on an Apple phone or Android phone you can find us there or if you want to listen on a computer you can find us on SoundCloud that's who we use as our host <laughs> anyway uh, as well as any of those other podcast services on pc as well uh, and again if you like if you have anything that you want to add uh, about it to the conversation about what we're talking about you can do so if you're an audio listener by going to our twitter at triangle sqrd heading over to our facebook group if you want to do that that group is triangle squared a playstation podcast if you reach out and ask to be approved in we will gladly do so uh, and lastly you can join our conversation left and right all day every day as much as possible. Though it's been a little dead lately. It's been a little bit more alive today. But you can join our Discord, which is down in the description below. And then lastly, if you'd like to support what we're doing with this channel and these shows, you can do so by going to our Patreon, which is also links below, uh, which is patreon.com slash nartech. Uh, and with that said, so I think Do we change the Patreon link? Yes, I did. Oh, because... look at there. Did we change the YouTube link? Yes. No, not yet. Slacking. I don't think so. Actually, I might have. I don't remember. Yeah. I will look and see. <laughs> We're branching off into a, uh, a very niche genre for you guys that haven't heard our newest announcement yet. We are going to be doing pancake making instructional videos. Mm -hmm. Very um, much. You know, it, it really, it became, it's a passion for us. That was the thing. You know, it was very important for us to find what we want to do next. It's like, okay, we got to find that passion. And Saul loves pancakes. And, and I'm more of a waffle guy, but I was willing to take the dive with him. When Brett heard that he loved or that I loved uh, maple syrup as much as he did. He he lived through that moment of his very uh, <laughs> vicariously. <laughs> brought it back around. So, Saul's just he just learned the word vicarious. And I don't just, know. I did not just learn that word. 
I'm going to throw it in a conversation. What was randomly. the other word that I saw earlier? And I'm like, that's not a real word. Is it meaningfully? Meaningfully. Yeah. yeah. I know meaningful is a word, but meaningfully. Yeah. Never, yeah. never heard that word in my 27 some words, years. Some words you look at and you really are in this. You're like, ah, there's no way that's a real word. And then you look it up and you're like, I be that's a real word. darned. Yeah. That's a real word. But uh, uh, I've been playing uh, all of Devil May Cry 5. Beat that. Fantastic experience. Was pleased to find out that the gameplay was much faster once you leveled up a couple times and bought more moves. Now that's interesting. So what you're saying is, because like, I remember this is going back to Saul's conversation he had about the demo and he felt like it was slow. The demo slow. was incredibly slow. So but, what you mean is that though the game is set up to where you essentially become quicker through new movesets and stuff that you would Well, on? it's really the same. Uh, slower gameplay in Devil May Cry doesn't mean just the sword swinging slower and like that. It's also your combos don't chain well. There's no fluidity in yeah, the combat. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. So it's very traditional of a Devil May Cry game for you to buy upgrades in terms of abilities. Mm-hmm. So like you could upgrade your sword, your guns, your devil breakers, sure. uh, which are the prosthetic hands Neo uses, or Nero, not Neo. Um, but yeah, so like once you get a couple of those in, it feels much more fluid. You can chain combos much more easily, and uh, it becomes that much more of a, a wonderful experience. So really enjoyed that game, and I uh, had a blast with it. But I didn't didn't play any Tetris 99 this week. Didn't play any Final Fantasy 14. Kind of taking a break from that, just in fear of getting burnt out. Well, uh, also you had a weekend going into being married. Pretty much, so, yeah. So you know, if, if like we mentioned on the last episode, we actually recorded that early so that we could go out and do everything for Saul's wedding, um, and then get everything prepared. There was another wedding this weekend for a community member, also just a good friend of ours, Mr. Yeah, Corey Crash, our good buddy. Congratulations, buddy! I know I've Congrats. told you a million times, but you know I have a platform to do it on. I told him Happy again. Hangover Day, thinking he would have drank himself silly last night, but no, he did. That was everyone else. I'm surprised. Yeah, but uh, not not saying that you're an alcoholic, Corey, but. <laughs> I'm surprised, but um, let's see. So yeah, other than that, like I diddled in uh, Destiny Two for a little bit. Okay, with Joe. Well, it seemed like yeah, from what I saw, it looks like you've been playing that a decent bit. You know, I mean, not just a lot, but you know, two nights, one night, yeah, one night, I think, one night. Okay, yeah, I played some Game at Prime, which is a, a blast. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. The I, Reckoning I, is a blast. Um, now, what is the Reckoning? The Reckoning is like the new. I guess it's. De- te- technically just a new blind well oh, okay so okay. it's like t- it's like you go through you kill all the enemies you have to kill the enemies within a certain time frame to get the boss to spawn and then the boss you have to kill it and then you can uh, that's how you get like rudimentary armor stuff uh you get weak uh i forgot what they're called actually it's it's what you use to make your armor invader armor and stuff so you pop a weak mode in, and then you get a low-level oh. invader armor piece. When so you these are the pieces you were talking about that allows you to kind of color Having code yourself. Having a full set on, yeah, changes your color. And um, and actually, if it, and then as it levels up, it also gives you more perks to help that thing. Yeah, it actually has some really like interesting perks on it, too. That's the scale, like the higher you do in um, yeah. like years I saw, of the Reckoning. Uh, one of the ones that Joe was telling me about is that you can carry 20 motes on one thing yeah, instead and of 15. The, there's actually something kind of cool because you could deposit 20 motes. Yeah. In the game. And then there's and a it, boss it, assigned for Yeah. It. Sends out so. a new blocker. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I need to get back into that. Uh, for myself, I've continued to just play Anthem. And I, again, I don't think I played anything else. Uh, I've been pretty busy this week, though. So it's been one of those things where I've just been scarcely playing and I'm still just doing trophy cleanup. Uh, but I did buy Far Cry New Dawn today and I intend to play it at some point. I mainly bought it because it was half price at Best Buy. So it was one of those things of... Getting it at twenty dollars lowers my expectations for the game that much more. To that way, if I, if it ends up just being okay, I don't feel like I spent that much money on it. But if I end up spend, if I end up really loving it, then I get the, the added bonus of being like, man, I even got it at a bigger of a steal. You know what I mean? Technically, I, yeah, because twenty bucks for even 
five six hours of experience which is what it's rated at is pretty pretty good value for me yeah well and that's the is it five to six hours of a main story pretty sure yeah i don't I think it's longer than that blake said he got about 30 hours out of it definitely ain't 30 hours because far cry 5 wasn't even 30 hours now not from a story but all side content i'm talking about i'm talking about just the story though yeah but i mean if you're gonna do just a story i'd imagine it's probably eight to ten hours and far cry 5 was probably 20 hours story let's see we can consult one of my favorite websites no not all gamers.com never even heard of that website uh how long to beat which will tell you just a, it's a pretty good summary of Man, uh, main wish. story is 11 and a half hours. Main plus extra is 16 and a half hours, and the completionist is uh, 21. 21 and a half. That's pretty and good. All styles is 15 and a half. So, yeah, it's pretty good value for what you, know, what you paid for it. Okay, good. Um, yeah, we'll see how that one ends up rolling over. I don't know when I'm going to start it because I do have Sekiro coming right around the corner on Friday, right? Friday, and yeah. then I do intend to start the Division 2 as well once I platinum uh, Anthem, and that will be my long break from Anthem for a little while. Speaking of Sekiro, I need um, to go preload that right now. So that's going to be one of those things. But anyway, so... Would you like me to hop into the drop? No, no, no. Remember, we got our other... That's what I was getting at. We have the community's take, which is the that new... Was before, I thought that was before the main topic. No, no. We do that before news and everything so that we don't end gotcha. up conflating them with anything else. So our, we said... this. We started this last episode. This is the community's take. This is a segment of the episode of the episode where we're going to go back and look at other episodes like I talked about and get other people's opinions that they got out there are set in... Uh, in response to those. So two episodes back, we did an episode talking about the value of PS plus and things that we'd like to see it do. And then ways that we think Sony could even leverage PS plus, uh, and make it more valuable outside of its own self as a service, but make it valuable within their own ecosystem of services. Right. Um, so Mr. Rodney C over on YouTube commented and said, if you actually go back to the comments of episode 49, which has been a long time ago now, I was talking about bundling PS Plus and PS Now all the way back then. Uh, yeah, that's actually been a very common uh, thing that I've seen. So I know that we weren't necessarily treading new ground, but um, I, I think you, it's thank awesome. Thank you for sticking along for 50 episodes. Plus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he said, I think it's awesome you guys are talking about it here. For me, though, I think they could even get away with removing the free games altogether if PS Now was included. Think about this. If my Microsoft can manage Game Pass for $9.99, which includes all first-party games, so I'm sure cost a fair bit and lost profits as well. Sony should be able to manage PS Plus, only online play, and PS Now, hundreds of playable games each month, for, say, $14.99. I think adding PS View would complicate it a bit, but it could all go back to something I've suggested before, tiered and subscriptions, um, or tiered subscriptions, sorry, uh, gives us a great deal uh, and a great deal of choice. So, do I want to? If, do I want the bare minimum, a mid-tier bundle, or everything PlayStation has to offer? Well, let me have it, and I'll pay accordingly. I think it would be super forward-thinking of PlayStation to try that out, and could even start a trend in the industry. We already see tiered options in the world of video streaming, i.e., Netflix and Hulu. Which to go into that, uh, do you want Hulu without commercials, and you pay a little bit more? Do you want Netflix in 4K, you pay a little bit more? Do you want it on multiple TVs, you play? A do you, bit you more. pay more for Netflix and 4K? Yes, you do. I did not. It know used that. to not be that way, but they very quickly once 4K stuff started getting up there, they did separate it out. Um, so makes sense. He says. So I don't think it would be too crazy to try it in other spheres as well. In this case, the gaming sphere. Um, too often, though, it seems PlayStation is happy to follow the trends that others, Xbox and Nintendo, set. But perhaps it's time they start one of their own. Anyways, guys, keep up the great work. I don't. I know I don't chime in often, but I'm still loving the content nonetheless. 
first of all, man, thank you for watching. I mean, it doesn't. That's, yeah, it's been a long time, dude. Thank I will you. say, yeah. Of course, our favorite thing about doing this show is, of course, me and Saul having a good excuse to get together and just hang out and chat like we always would anyway. Uh, but now we have a excuse that we have to literally. It, it forces us to do it, which is good. When you get older in life, it's one of those things where it gets harder and harder to try and make time with your friends because you have all these other things going on. It's great when you can pull your friends into your passions and going together into something that is work, but it's fun work. Yeah. So it, it creates a sense of urgency and that we have to do it and that we love that because it just ends up letting us hang out more and have a good reason to do so, um, which is great. Uh, but I would say for your point, I could definitely see it working. I understand the, the point of the tiered options. I don't think that doing a tiered option would necessarily dilute it too much. And I think the tiered options also gives it a very big benefit. And uh, talking back to one of the things that we saw before was that we, you can't always talk about PS Now for the fact that PS Now has the issue of not being available in every country that PS Plus is available in. So you'd almost have to tier it off that way, right? Right. So what you could do in those situations, you could tear it off again if we're going through your route of removing the games, and you could tear off PS Plus as PS Plus only for $10 a month. We'll just say that, right? You Just just for online play, bam, you get that. Now, then you could add a tier with PS Now. I think fourteen ninety nine is a little bit of a hard sell Ambitious. on that. And the reason I say that is because the difference between looking at something like Games Pass uh, and then looking at something like PS Now is that PS Now does still include the streaming option, which is, is important because it is first and foremost a streaming service, not a subscription service only. Not just like, a, oh, here's the games that you can get and you just download them like we see with Games Pass. Instead, Sony's kind of, now that they've introduced this ability to download the PS4 end of the games, it creates a really interesting thing because it kind of gives you this best of both worlds thing. If you just want to use PS Now as a way to get uh, for you know for whatever price a month that it is, I think it's twenty dollars a month is what we discovered, which is a little too much. Yeah, and, I think that's what it was. But if for for only that side, so if you're only using it for that, it's hard to want to justify twenty dollars. But if you just want to use that for a large a swath of PS4 games to play. That makes sense to me. Um, and then, of course, if you want to use it for the streaming side, that's an act- that's a nice benefit to have on the side. Okay, sorry. I know. Uh, but anyway, so when you think about it in that sense, I mean, I get that, and I agree that there's a tiered option that would work. Is, is there anything else you want to add to that, song? I do like the idea of a tiered option. I don't think it'll work from a business standpoint that well. But the if you're tiered option go, or the pricing? Tiered option. Now, why do you think that? Because I do agree with him that we've, we have seen it in a ton of other spaces. We have, but I do think that Microsoft is still taking a loss at game, for Games Pass. Yeah, no, so, I mean, they absolutely are. In an effort to try and build it up, they're, they're absorbing the losses to hopefully make a thing that in the future becomes self-sustainable. Right, and it could be something very similar to uh, what I was kind of wishing or hoping that Sony would do a cross-play in terms of it being a this generation kind of thing maybe test and then not have it at the beginning of next so then maybe that would be more lenient in terms of taking a loss but with a service like this that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you want it packaged throughout the generations you don't want it just for you know the next year and then it's gone uh unlike well, crossplay, which is somewhat more missable i guess I, or at I, least miss or, or less missable I, okay now i guess why, why do you mean that they would? So I, I get what you mean in the fact of like I'm, I'm saying like trying can, one thing out and then you can make it, it later. such a good thing since they've done so well this generation. You could do such a good thing at a loss to, until the end of the generation, and it had be such a good value. And w- because a loss at this point, depending on the amount, wouldn't be that big of a deal to them. 
to it's, Sony. Now, but now I think he is specifically talking about from a sustainable business. No, no, I get standpoint. yeah, I get that. Now, even as a tiered option, I still I don't see how that would be a problem necessarily. I'm talking about for a, ch- a cheap price. Well, yeah, okay. So pricing is what it comes down to. It's not the tiered option; it's the pricing of the tiered option. It's the pricing of the tiered option. Yeah, okay. and, because and, I, I mean, mean yeah, when you I have agree. Like a, so I think like, fourteen ninety nine is a little too too. That's well, that's it, what, it's it's wishful thinking for that PS was, now because there are whereas Games Pass, it's literally just paying for the licensing of letting those games be in the service. Right. On on this one, it's more of also paying for the stream tech and all of the literal things that they have set up to run the games on on server side before they send it out to you. Uh, which is even if you well, don't intend to use that part of PS now, it is there and those costs are involved that means they have to make server racks that have basically ps3 hardware in them if you want to use yes. the ps3 streaming and then they and then it, stream all that happens server side uh and it, it processes it server side then it sends it out Paying all that work yeah all of that costs money on sony's part so there is a little bit of a different cost structure whereas the cost for games pass is more involved with partnering up with people and saying hey give us the license for games pass for anybody who's subscribing to be, to be able to use that and that's the cost it's only the license <laughs> uh PS Now has got both. It's the license of putting the game on there and, and paying for them to not feel like they're getting a profit loss by putting it on there, while also paying them having to pay themselves uh, for the, they're all the, the server aspects right. of it. So, I mean, in that side, I do think that that's an interesting argument. But I think on the other side thing that I want to move on to real quick is the idea, and I, and I could see why to an extent... I don't necessarily agree, and I think I've even said this recently, I don't agree that Sony doesn't set industry standards. And what I mean by that, and I put a couple of them down whenever I first read this, because it's just something I thought about. So, I mean, you're right that they occasionally follow their competition, but I would say that they've also started things like PS Plus in the first place. PS Plus was originally conceived and executed as a completely optional service that had benefits for players like automatic updates, cloud storage, and free games. Those were all things that at the time were unheard of. So they set that industry standard, which in the long run forced Microsoft two years later or so to have to change Xbox Live Gold to include games with gold. So that was something that Sony did that literally set the industry, and you've even seen Nintendo do it now with their online service. No one, no console provider now can provide a, or can put online play behind a paywall without also including these free games and things because the expectation has been set and that that expectation was set by sony which is really great of them to do that Uh, i think other things they've done i think sony were the first people uh to put free-to-play games and take them away from the paywall whenever they were going into this generation that was something they had to think about because no longer were they free across the board for online play so they had to go well, free-to-play games. Why should you have to have online play to play a game that would be otherwise free? And they took that out. This is something that Xbox hasn't even followed suit in yet, if I remember right. And they, they did remove... Uh, Xbox did remove um, Netflix. Netflix from the paywall because Sony also did that route, but Microsoft has not done that. So that's something that we're seeing Sony stand alone in, but it's still what I would consider to be an industry trend set. So, I mean, would I like to see them do more absolutely but i'm glad that they've not completely relegated themselves to like following their competition so we'll see i mean i think it's easy to see that they are following the competition in things like crossplay because it got so much media buzz you know what i mean yeah so yeah but uh anything else you want to add to that Saul? before i go on to the next one real quick I think that's it. Okay, uh, one more, and this ties back into technically last episode and reader mail that we just did, the four and five. Uh, but Mr. Sean One Neo over on Twitter says, maybe I'm just fed up of more and more multiplayers taking this approach, talking about the games as a service, so I may have written Anthem off too soon. But then again, I didn't return for Battlefront 2, Destiny 2, or Battlefield 5. I've said before, but this is pushing me away from multiplayer games more and more. Um, and this was a 
Twitter conversation that we kind of had back and forth before I decided that I wanted to address it more on here. And I thought that it was just interesting because my argument for Anthem has been along the way that I think that there's plenty of games that do these things very oddly. And, you know, this all ties into the last episode's topic was about the expectations of games as a service. So games like Anthem and whatnot. And the biggest upside that I've found from Anthem is that it's a game that I've found to be incredibly playable as a single player experience. And I mean that in the sense of like everything about the way it's done, it almost works as a single player game. You can play the entire game by yourself. You never have to have anybody else in your party. You can always go public. I mean, you can always go private instead of public. When you do that, the game's actually got really great production values, much higher than I think a lot of other games in this sphere, even more so than, I I mean, the division two probably actually is pretty high up there. Division two looks pretty good. So I'll give it that. But I think things like destiny, uh, have lowered the bar of, expert- of expectation in terms of production values, except for in their cutscenes. I'll give Bungie does incredible work in their cutscenes, but I wish that those cutscene style graphics were at least even partially reflected in the moment to moment gameplay. Personally, speaking. yeah, uh, I think you putting Anthem beside Destiny Two is just they look miles apart in my opinion. Um, but also outside of that, the way that they've gone about telling the story and setting it up, it feels like a single player game. Whereas if you're playing Destiny, even when that, it feels like an online game with a story tacked onto it. Whereas Anthem, if you play it single player, it could feel, in my opinion, like a game that's just a game. It almost feels like a Bioware game with a not amazing story, admittedly, but it's a good story and it's told in a way that seems a little more like what you'd expect from a single player game. Uh, but that's also just my opinion. I'm not saying that that is absolutely right, but I do think it's interesting that he says this because I think that he mentioned that Rainbow Six is one of the games that he feels like has done it right. And I find that interesting because, I mean, all of Rainbow Six's things they've done have also been patches that have cost money. You know what I mean? Pretty much all the new, all the, I forget what they're called, like uh, Operation, operations. Yeah. yeah. They, they come out, and, but they all cost money. And that's fine. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. This is people doing work and putting it on there and people are enjoying it. And it doesn't matter if you spend, I don't know how much the operations cost. Let's just say if you spend $14.99 or $20, one or two, uh, let's just say you spend that amount of money. I want to say they're 30 because they include two new characters, but I might be completely And new maps base. and stuff, I would imagine, yeah. probably. So when you think about it in that sense, if you spend even $30, let's just say that. If you spend $30 on these uh, operations and you get another... 100 hours of fun out of the game before the next update comes out that you want to buy. I mean, that's it goes back to what we were talking about, and it kind of actually is going to tie into the topic of this show, which you know, we kind of have two. Um, but the subjectivity of value and where that lies, because everybody finds it differently. Of course, you're not going to want to spend $30 on something like Rainbow Six Siege Operation if you're going to pay it for two hours. Uh, that's too much. But that also means that that's not made for you, not marketed at you. It's just, you know, I mean... It just depends on how much you love the game and how much that value of that game is in your own mind, and everybody's is different. Uh, so moving on from there, uh, I think it's time to go in and hop into the drop, Mr. Saul. Sure. I was trying to figure out like a pricing on any of this stuff or the operations. They I might mean, even be different per. You know what I mean? They yeah. may be priced differently according to how much is on there. That's probably true. Yeah, I don't even see a price on here. It says, I don't think a new one's come out for a while. I think we're actually due out for a new one here real soon. Uh yeah, one just came out. Did it really? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, one just came out. I think it's the one that's taking place in Australia. So, Well, yeah, that did come out. So, so yeah. Like um, a week ago, I think. I'm sure one of you guys, though, will let us know how much they cost. Uh, but anyways, on to the drop. For those that don't know, this this week's PlayStation releases, releases, releases across all platforms. First up, we have Always Awakening for PS4. American Ninja Warrior for PS4. Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon Everybody Bundle for PS4. 
Cube Zone for PS4, Fate Extella Link for PS4 and PS Vita. No cross by there. Whoop, that PS Vita love. The Messenger for PS4, Peasant Knight for PS4 and PS Vita, which is a cross by title. We have the big one on the list, at least for me. We have Sekiro Shadow Dies, Shadows Die Twice yeah. for PS4. That's, that's probably the big AAA game. Yeah. We have uh, SNK 40th Anniversary Collection for PS4. Super Kickers League for PS4. War Theater for PS4. And that's the last on the list. And then Vita. War Theater will be coming to Vita uh, at a later date. Okay. So that's uh, really good. Uh, we follow a- him on Twitter. I think it's Luke Bernard. And he did Plague Road and stuff like that. Uh, does a lot of very interesting games that have a really cool... I love his art style, very stylistic, uh, but he always supports Vita, and that's because he has a very active community there. And that goes back to what we've talked about, how great the Vita community can be. It's very small, and yeah, Vita production has ended. Um, it's really nice to see that though Vita production's done, we're still seeing all these games. There are people that love the Vita and will support it, uh, and I am very curious to see the last Vita game. What is it? What's it going to be? Plague Rogue on the Switch... Uh at least last week was on sale for a dollar nineteen. Yeah, it's a cool game. I mean, we played it at PSX, and I really think it's all right. You know, it's not amazing by any standard, but it's got fun gameplay and a really cool art style. So I'm gonna go ahead and apologize in advance for the sniffling and the uh, potentially congested sound of the throat. Uh, yeah, I am coming down with something. Down with a sickness, huh? All right, uh, I'm gonna move into the news Ooh, now. Uh, uh, uh. All right, uh, let's see. First thing on the news, this is going to go back into what we were talking about with Anthem real quick. But uh, after complaints from the community, BioWare put out a server-side update for Anthem, meaning no download required for anybody who was curious about that. Uh, Fixing the drop rate for in-game items. This comes on the heel of a strike for the game, or a boycott, whatever you want to call it, uh, in regards to this issue. So apparently what happened is that there was something done. It made it easier to get these items for a little bit, and and that was apparently not the intention. So BioWare went back and fixed it. And then what ended up happening from that is that people was like, well, we know what we could have and it worked better and it felt better for us. So as a community, we agree, or at least as the vocal part of the community, we agree that this should be fixed and they've gone back and done it and they did it pretty quickly. And this goes back into what I was talking about. I'm not saying Anthem's perfect and I'm glad that, you know, that people are calling them out on the issues that they do have. And I, and I very much support that. Uh, and, and me and Saul were talking about earlier. I very much enjoyed Anthem. I'm not saying it's, you know, in no ways is it a perfect game. I've been surprised by how much I've enjoyed Anthem. I was also surprised by how much I enjoyed Destiny 2, to be fair, though. You know, I was a big person. and I was saying that Destiny 2 was not going to work out. And even at launch, and it wasn't perfect again, but even at launch, it was surprising at how much I ended up enjoying it. And it's put enough content out that we're still playing it a year and a half after launch. Exactly. So, you know, in that system, I'm just glad to see that BioWare seems to be putting their foot in the ground and saying... We're here to stay, and we're going to do all the things that we need to do to fix this. And that was actually addressed in a community letter that they put out um, after some Reddit questions and stuff were going around. And I'm glad they said that. Uh, And it also brought up another point about people harassing developers on Twitter and then expecting them to still respond. These are developers. They have better things to do with their time than respond to you. And so when the choice is between essentially going on Twitter and, and addressing some things they're working on and wanting to update the, the community and the community literally crapping all over them, they're not going to want to do it because they have work to do anyway. I mean, the developers are not the people who are meant to be PR. These are the people who are supposed to work on the game. But some of them are passionate enough about the game that early on they wanted to talk about it. But eventually, if you're going to keep coming back to them with this much hate and aggression, then they're going to stop wanting to, you know, to talk to you. And I mean, at some point... It just happens that way. So I'm glad to see that the PR guy came out and said, hey, it's my job to do this, and my my job is to take this flag to an extent. But I'm glad that that was addressed because I think sometimes people like to aim things at the individual developers, and that's just not fair because they have another job to do. Them giving you their time on Twitter is actually something in excess of what they're expected to do. Boy, 
I don't buy Kleenexes, man. Those were grandpa's. These ain't, how old are these? I don't know. Sauce complaining about Kleenexes. Not even Kleenexes. They are uh, Angel Soft. It's it's better than just normal toilet paper. <laughs> I don't think that those expire, so I hate to tell you. Have you ever seen an expiration date on toilet paper? My nose hurts. That's all, like sandpaper. I'm sorry. You're the one who walked over there and did it. I didn't force you. No gun to your head. I'm about to do an angel soft review live on the podcast. Don't do buy that Kleenex. Next up. The uh, long-running Sniper Elite series will be making its way to VR with Sniper Elite VR. Uh, the game will support the aim controller, but little else is known outside of the teaser posted. So there's a little thing of them showing the game being played. Uh, the news comes alongside some other Sniper Elite news as it was announced that Sniper Elite V2, which is a 360 game and PS3 game, will be getting the remaster treatment as well as a new entry in the series in Sniper Elite 5. So if you're a fan of that series, which I know... Uh, the series has got a decent little niche fan base, so that's good for them. It's not, they're not bad games. Expect some more. Uh, Castle Crashers developer The Behemoth has been teasing what appears to be the series making its way to PS4 and Switch and other consoles, uh, as well as other current-gen consoles. They took to Twitter posting a picture, and this is in the PlayStation 4's uh, case, showing four DualShock 4s with the light bars casting lights that were in line with the four playable character colors um, and illuminating a silhouette of each little character. Uh, in that color, which is kind of cool. Uh, it's unknown right now if it's going to be a port of the original game or if it's going to be a sequel, uh, but you can learn more come Tuesday when the developer plans to shed more light on it. So keep an eye out on that. Next thing up, uh, with strong sales from Sonic Mania and decent sales from Sonic Forces, apparently Sega was happy with Sonic Forces sales. Uh, it is not surprising that Sega have announced that production has started on the next major Sonic title from Sonic Team. Now, I just feel like it's important to put this out there. It's unlikely that this game in particular is going to be Sonic Mania sequel or even a 2D Sonic as that was not the team behind Sonic Mania. That was a different team. Sonic team, the main team, is the people that made Forces and the 3D Sonic games. Uh, So We're getting another Forces. This is going to be a 3D game. Now, here's the interesting thing. Do you remember a little while back whenever I was going through news and one of the news pieces was that the, the... head or whatever the producer for um or the whatever the director for team sonic said that he that they had interest in making a sonic adventure 3 i just don't think they could do it anymore well like how bad all the 3d games have been up until now well sonic forces wasn't really in terms of sales and even reviews it wasn't really railed you know what i mean not like sonic boom you remember sonic boom the little offshoot nintendo exclusive for the wii u sonic forces is not looking good on metacritic i mean go go to it and I would even argue, because this is one of those two things. You know how we were on um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes the other day? And you can look between what critics say and what people say. So right now, the user average score is a, is a 6.9, almost a 7. I think that that's fair enough to say. Now, Metacritic being 57 is not great for the thing. But if the communi- if, if essentially the majority of people who played it enjoyed it, which a 7 is not a bad user critique, uh, and then it sold reasonable, then yeah, why would they, you know, why would they go off? I just... Look at Sonic Boom real quick for for entertainment purposes and comparison purposes. Let's see what Sonic Boom got. Because I know that it was a game that was pretty lambasted. Yeah. And there was also a, a tie-in TV show. It's very odd. So the Wii U one is at a 32. They're all, they're all bad. The yeah. 3DS ones are really bad, too. But I don't think those are 3 And Shattered Crystal. See, that was... So that's what I mean, though. So the little Nintendo sect that they did for those were handled even worse. So I think that it's reasonable to say that Sonic Forces actually restored the faith in the series for the people who do like it for a lot. 
And then Sonic Mania restored the faith for people who like the original. So I think that there's a cool thing that they can do here. Uh, every two years or so, they can kind of run this thing of putting out a 2D Sonic that people like that's in the vein of that and letting the team that handled Mania keep going forward with that if they wanted to and then letting the main Sonic team make these 3D Sonic games that Did, are at least being received better. Didn't Forces come out after Mania? Yes, about six months or so, yeah, I want to say. Mania should be the next game. Well, but it was just handled by another team. I know. So that's that's what I'm curious. They just need to not make games until Mania 2 comes out, and then not make games again until Mania 3 comes out. I don't agree with that statement. I think that I it's reasonable. Not. There is a... The, the coolest thing about Sonic, and the also kind of odd thing about Sonic, is that there's been a very huge disconnect between the people who like the 2D and the people who like the 3D. There's a lot of people who like Sonic 3D games who never like the 2D games. I don't, I don't see that. Oh, I have. I've never seen that. I have. I, I, now, it does depend anything, on where you're looking, because it, it, if you're looking at places that are dedicated to these Sonic games... Well, I'm looking at like people I know. Yeah, and I'm and I'm using people I know as well as an example. And because you name me slot, one person who doesn't like 2D, but they like 3D. I'm going to go slap them. Dude, I, I mean... I'm not going to name names on a podcast for because I've I've had problems with that in the past. I try not to do that as much as possible um, unless I know that they won't care, like Corey. Um, even then, the I mean, drunkard. What I'm getting at there is, I mean, the, you can even okay, you can find it in certain sects if you just look in the right thing. There are a, a vocal group of people who like the 3D Sonics that didn't ever really care for the 2D Sonics, and some of that may come from age. Some of it may be people who played 3D Sonics and never even touched the 2D, so they just have no affinity for the 2D. I'm not even gonna lie; like this sounds stupid. I didn't know that was a possibility. <laughs> I thought people, most people who are Sonic fans, just tolerated to 3D older. games. No, 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 no. I'm talking I'm about. I'm gonna tell you right of, now. I'm gonna tell you right now. I think Sonic Adventure. One and two are better games than Sonic Mania. Oh, no. Yeah. There's some rose-tinted glasses you got on there, buddy. Uh, may, may, maybe they are. No, but they realistically are. speaking, okay, Sonic Generations, a far more... So take that's less rose-tinted glasses because that was 2011. Yeah. Now, Sonic Generations, I think, was a better game than Mania in terms of... Let me see if this... I think is that the one that had to, 2D and 3D? Uh, no, but it tied in old Sonic and young Sonic. What was the one that was 2D and 3D? Well, I mean, Sonic Generations is kind of close to what you're getting at there it had levels that were pulled and inspired from levels across the whole series and it let you play as young Sonic or whatever old sonic which is like the small chibi style one that's more reflective of what he looked like in the 2d games versus what he looks like in the 3d games as well where he's got long legs and it's like the sonic adventure style sonic yeah this is the one i'm thinking of this is the yeah. one i have not played so i get what you mean though it's not entirely 2d it's like it does perspective shifts sometimes yes well, but there are different levels you're right there's there's a level this is more like um what would you and i guess it depends on what Ray, you mean rayman origins uh no i kind of get what you're going with that did you ever see sonic 4 which was a 2.5d sonic game that came out for ps3 that was a new sonic release and it wasn't quite like mania where it was actually made like this Check it out. It's Sonic uh, 4, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 4. And it's a 2.5D game that was actually pretty decently received. I mean, it just wasn't loved across the board, but it did pretty well. And it sold as episodes. It was kind of an interesting what game. Are the, why? why? Why does that need to be episodes? I think it was because they wanted to try it out and they didn't know if people were going to like it. Because it was trying to go back to a style that was reminiscent of uh, Sonic at the time period from classic Sonic, but still doing it in a way that was 3D. You get what I'm saying? So... I don't know. That's one. We can linger on that and talk about that a little bit later. But all I'm getting at is that I am a perfect example of somebody who has, when these 3D games have been decent, I actually prefer the way the 3D games play to the 2D games. Though I do enjoy the 2D games as well. 
I like them both. Yeah, we're opposites. Later. So, anyway, uh, let's see. Next up, if you like different DualShock 4 color options, Sony has unveiled the Alpine Green colorway, featuring a like muted kind of ugly green, evergreen, forest green, whatever faceplate with white buttons and a uh, and back grip that is coming in April. Here's the thing. I don't... Low if, effort, ugly controllers. On, I'll give you this. Low effort. Yes. I agree with that because we've talked about this a number of times. Ugly controllers. Things, you know, we, we prefer at least what we see. We prefer, like... Uh, one thing I showed Saul the other day was Xbox has got this ghost white or phantom white uh, controller coming out where the top half is, like, see-through and then it, it gradients down to, like, a Xbox color in white. Xbox has better, awesome. better controllers, like, in terms of designs. Like, yeah, they're absolutely. absolutely better. Like, it feels more... Th- and I don't know if... I've, I've often wondered if PlayStation feels like the layout of the DualShock 4, while it may be comfortable, very comfortable to me, I prefer it to the Xbox controller, uh, if the way they designed it makes them think that they can't do as much on it. But I just don't agree with that because my go-to example is the Gears of War 4 controller that they did that had the gash marks over yep, the face on the buttons. the right-hand side. And then even more so... And then the Gears the face, icon on the left. The, yeah, but you remember the face buttons? They were even they were, special. They were uh, shadowed or whatever it's called. No, what Tinted. it was is they looked like somebody had carved the letters out in the stone. Yeah, but and they, they were... They put, um, so I've never seen that. I've that never was, seen a PlayStation controller where the face buttons were like a custom design. That was the, that was the first time... Yeah, if I'm correct about Xbox doing a, what is that called? Frosted, but it's not frosted. It's um, they're dark, like I guess grayed out, but like I can't think of what that's called. Shadowed. I mean, I, you, what are you trying? But what are you talking about? Just that's the of that. first time they ever had like black buttons. Okay, like that. Uh, Where instead of them being uh, like colored in with and, like the yeah, blue, yellow, yeah, red, green, yeah, yeah, and then they started doing that thing where now a lot of their controllers do that. They just keep the colors on the inside, yeah, uh, which is pretty smart. One of my biggest things is like, okay, Google. First of all, you're absolutely terrible about this. Uh, but now I want to say this: if this if this is a color you like, that's fine. It's just I do agree with Saul in the long run sense of that this does feel low effort in comparison to other special that is not editions. a real DualShock Four controller either. I have never seen this color. Yeah, that's a real one. No, that's crazy controllers. That's really? not a real one. Yeah. Well, hold on. Now, Maybe it's now, color shift. Xbox has this controller then this in this perfect... Okay, uh, my bad. I And I was about to say I have it in there. From the side, it looked like the gray-blue controller. Yeah, which is the one I have at home. You have the gray-blue? Yeah, the it's like the... Uncharted 4 gray-blue. No, 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 no. I thought you are Let me just show you the one I have. It's like navy-blue. Okay, I know which one you're talking about. Blue. I know which one you're talking about. Uh, just because they were sold out of... They had orange mm-hmm. and they had gold at best buy when i went to go buy that one i was like i guess i'm gonna take the blue one because it's like i don't want either one of those <laughs> yeah but yeah they don't even have like this for those that are listening uh because I, I can't really show it I've but it's, it. it's, it's it's powdered blue it's, Look, this is going to be the best way so people who are watching on video can show this this is a custom controller i got made which was you know just being extra a scuff uh look it's a scuff now this is what i want to talk about these are the things that I think Sony could do differently. One of the things that Scuff done is added a pattern and a kind of a, a texture to the back grip. Sony could easily do that. It There's no good. reason they wouldn't. I mean, it looks cool. It introduces a new color. So, you know, on this one, instead of it just being entirely white, they could have done something with white acting as snow. They're calling this alpine green. Why not do a different color and then have the white sprinkled in to look like snow? Did you see? Well, white's ugly. That's why. Like, white just contrasting that controller. If it was black controller with that white, yeah. Have you seen that, though? I haven't seen that, but yeah, the, no, other exactly. controller, the other controller that uses white that Such comes a to my hand that's very striking never done. is the uh, the one that came with the Spider-Man console that was red and white. That, con- that controller was actually pretty. They've be- never done a black and white controller. Yeah, I think that, that would be cool, too. But look, what I mean by that is a number of things. Like, look, 
why not do something different with the face buttons? Why not change the colors of the buttons in general? They've not done that necessarily. The, the closest they've gotten is instead they of using their black, they go the gray. touchpad light. Yeah, have they? They never put a custom engraving on the touchpad light. Nope. They, they could have had a spider on the back of the Spider Man one. They did. Now I say that the only one I don't know for sure because I haven't gotten to look at incredibly well has been the Kingdom Hearts three controller that they did for the the Pro. Uh, but th- I just use this as an example of something lightly that they could do to give it a little bit more depth and texture and. The reason I bring up texture is that that's one of the favorite things I've seen about the Xbox controllers is that, uh, like, do you remember the Xbox controller that has the little thing on the side, uh, the grips on the side? The flight, uh, and, flight controller. Yeah, and when you rub them, they're, they're actually textured. There's, it feels more upscale and more classy, and it looks better. You know, it doesn't look like a flat decal on it the It actually might not be called flight controller. So, I think it's called combat controller or something like that. I don't know for I, sure. I really thought it was called flight. Thrustmaster? That's a steering wheel. And well, Thrustmaster makes stuff for like Ace Combat as well, but steering wheels as well. But I don't want to spend too long on that. I just know that me and Saul have talked about it before, but I just wish that Sony would up their custom controller games. One of the coolest custom controllers that I've actually seen Sony do pretty much ever because it was it felt more involved. And I'm going to run it and get it real quick because I want to show it. What was it you're going to get? My DualShock 3. Oh, is it the Final Fantasy one? Yeah. You just knocked the camera. No, yes, you did. It doesn't. You didn't change anything. Why, why, why are you right there to show the controller to the camera? Yeah, the lightning on it's ugly, but the runic symbol around the D-pad is pretty cool. Something that I wish, you know, Sony would do a little bit well, more. Well, look, of. what I mean by that is that there's just more to this. They have a 13 up here on the top, which is part of the reason I bought this. I'm a Kingdom Hearts nerd, and I was like, I'm just going to say that that's Organization 13. Uh, but yeah, the runic, the runic thing here, it, it feels more involved than what we've even seen and, and no, I'm wrong. The DualShock 3 didn't have a lot of great options either, but I would also argue that the Xbox 360 didn't have great custom controllers. That's a, that's a nice controller, too. I had that one. You do? Yeah, I had it. Oh. I sold it whenever I sold my Xbox because I just didn't need it. But yeah, that's my that's my example. I just think that Sony needs to up their game. They shouldn't be getting this outclassed. And Ooh. I would even go above and beyond that by the fact that Sony has not even... And now this goes back to you know Rodney's thing where he doesn't want to see... Well, he wants to see them set new trends. Well, one of the trends that I really think they should follow is the ability to make your own controller. Recon tech. Recon tech. That one's... Dude, the texture feels so good on those little those little patterned out things. You can feel them like they're raised. I love that. I just want to see Sony up their game, man. I think they could do it. Oh, they can. I just don't know why they haven't. And I don't know why they haven't either. It's been a very traditional controller. And I would also go back to... You remember the ID Xbox thing where you can go to the website and create, create your own your controller, own controller completely? yeah. Sony needs to do that. There's an upcharge. There's a reason. But people will pay $100 for a controller if they can do what they want to with it. Oh, absolutely. Sony, why don't you initiate the service, and then why don't you send us a free controller to review on the channel like <laughs> Xbox and all the uh, Xbox people. All right, next thing up, and we'll run through these real quick, is Bandai Namco are releasing a free-to-play version of Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2 in Japan called Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2 Lite. Uh, this version comes March 20th for Japanese uh, territories, but it's unknown right now if this will make its way outside of Japan. I think this is interesting. I don't know necessarily why they're why they're doing it unless they're building interest for Xenoverse 3 which might be uh, for fans of Mortal Kombat campaigns the story mode for 11 is looking to be around 8 hours which is not that uncommon for NetherRealm games so that's pretty in line uh, so it should be another solid thing from them I didn't care for a 10's campaign a whole lot it's okay um, 
Next up, Turtle Rock, and this is probably a pretty good, uh, pretty big one. Turtle Rock Studios, the developer behind the classic Left 4 Dead series that was on Xbox 360 and PC, has teamed up with WB Games to announce Back for Blood, a new zombie game which looks to act as a spiritual successor to Left 4 Dead uh, in the co-op zombie genre. Little info is known on the, on the title outside of that, but this seems a smart move in my opinion because Evolve was a flop. Yeah, it was. So, well, I, I say flop. Uh, Evolve was a flop for what it was in, expected to do. From a, from a developer like that, that, I mean, dude, Left 4 Dead literally captivated people throughout all three games on the 360, and it was a big title, and we did not see that at all from Evolve. It didn't catch even a, a portion of that fan base, really. They went on to support it a long time, and I, I applaud them for that. I don't think another game flopped like that, stick. did it? Lawbreakers. And then whatever, what was the battle royale he made, too, that, like... Oh, I can't remember what it was called. Something Heights? Radical Heights. Radical Heights. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. Next up, though, after criticism at launch for a lack of subtitles, which is also something that I criticized, Spyro Reignited Trilogy's recent patch adds subtitles as well as the ability, it's always going to like this, to toggle motion blur on and off and fix a few bugs that were in the game. So nothing huge, but uh, I agree. I saw one of the comments say, why did that take so long? Activision. September. I say that, but yet I'm very excited for September. Oh, wait. When did that game actually come out? It, it was. It ended up being September, right? September, I'm pretty sure. Okay. No, absolutely not. I'm fairly positive, unless it got pushed back a month. Was it October in the long run? Because it was originally going to launch beside Spider-Man. And I think it did. Look, this is the beauty of being able to have these things just right in your face. I'm glad you November 13th. Yeah, I was going to say that so came out. So still, five months ago? Yeah. That's uh, not September though. I was like, I was cold. It was cold outside. Yeah, Square Enix have released the free version of their three v three brawler, Dissidia Final Fantasy NT. Uh, so if you're interested in that, head over to the PS Store and give it a try. It's not a terrible game. I actually, it, it's pretty fun. I like the Dissidia franchise as a whole. Um, it's you know on the PSP days they were very fun. Next up, and I like this one. Hollow Knight was originally intended for a physical release. I don't know if y'all remember that, but it fell through. Apparently, though, it's been announced by Fangamer that a physical release is indeed happening through them and is available for pre-order right now with a ship date of late May. So if you are interested in having a physical version of that, uh, go do that. And I want to use this This real is quick. the only console this isn't physical on, isn't it? No, it's, it's going to be on all, on all of them. It's going to be physical on Xbox One, PS4, Switch, and all that. It never got a physical release at all. What did I see at Best Buy that day that was the big box that was fifty dollars that came with the plush was that not the game didn't dude? come it wasn't i don't think it had a physical copy probably a download code in it probably oh. it was like a collector's edition even if it was a physical it wasn't a separate physical you know what i mean gotcha so but you are right there was something in there i, I don't remember exactly what it was hyper light drifts are getting a physical release on the switch though i saw that as well and getting and getting a physical version across the board which does tie in real quick to something i wanted to see this is we haven't really talked about this, I don't think, but this is an interesting thing about your eye. You know, you go towards the thing of thinking that we are closer and closer to an all digital future, but we're seeing games that are originally all digital go to physical. Why do you think that is? Six years old games that people for collecting purposes. Well, Hollow Knight is not. Uh, now, Hyperlight Drifter is a quite an old game, but, but there are a lot of games that around six months after they come out digitally end up coming out physically. It's very rare that happens. I wouldn't say very rare. There was another game. Name another I, game besides Hollow Knight. Uh, Dead Cells got one. Dead Cells got one. Name another game. I mean, they, dude, don't throw it on my mind, but throw, they, yeah, they, they I'm exist. Gonna, I mean, I want to call you out. I mean, it's not calling me out. It's just because I don't remember every single indie game that got a physical release, but they happened. Shovel Knight got a physical release. Not in six months after it came out. Like I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how long, but yeah. it got one. I think the only. And it still comes down to, but that's what I was getting at. Collectors' purposes, right? Is what you're saying. So why do you think that 
if people are so willing to but, buy a game a second time just to have it for collector's purposes, here's the thing. why do you think that they would ever move away from the people who don't want to even deal with buying it twice? And because just eventually, it in an all-digital future, what are you going to get to play those games on? What do you mean? If it's all-digital, you're saying that a, what a console media won't have, is that going to come on? I, I get, but that's why I'm... I'm using this as an argument against all digital. I don't think that that'll ever happen. I think they'll always make sure there's a physical cartridge or disc drive to run these things through because people want that physical media. We keep seeing that now. Even in a time period where these games make more sense to come out only as digital titles. You know what's crazy, though? What's becoming a trend? Empty collector's edition cases that you can buy separately yeah, which because is also people are very buying them digitally. Yeah. Which is also very interesting. Same, same kind of argument. Well, and I don't even think it's that people are buying them digitally. I think instead of lumping them together into a special edition that comes for 10, to 10 more dollars includes that, they're just saying, whatever, just sell it separately at an upcharge. Yeah, because like even me, like it's... Which it's, is, actually, I want to say that's very smart of them. I think it's really <laughs> interesting to let people who want steelbooks, and I know people who want steelbooks to put the disc in. I, 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 I mean... When games come with it as the only option, of course I keep the disc in it. But when they come separate, I like to keep them separate. I think it's an interesting way to do it. From, um, from what now? Well, like okay, so uh, perfect example: Final Fantasy uh, fifteen, the one I got that came with a steel book. It didn't come with another case, so I had to keep the game in that. But some people want to go buy that steel book just to put the game in because they just want to put the That's game in. That's really unusual. So yeah, I don't think it's unusual. Your, your... I think that it just seems odd to you more than anything. Well, no, it's it's to me that's like almost like you're artificially inflating your collection because you have. Empty I would say that because what you do with... is people hide the empty cases or repurpose them. For okay, games so it's got not destroyed. in the collection. Like it's not viewable in the collection. So yeah, they do that specifically for the steel book case. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. If and they'll put the steel book cases. I thought you were talking about you're adding it to collections that you already own. No, no, no. Okay, this that you're replacing your case with that. Gotcha. That makes sense. So people because do that, I, and I, I think know that's some people that love steel books. I hate so, them. Like. Perfect example, R.J. Logie, listener of the show. He, we were talking about it, and that's why I sent a picture of that Anthem one to him. He thought that the Anthem still book was a pre-order bonus for the Legion of Dawn edition or maybe a pre-order bonus been. in general. But it, it didn't end up coming that way. And come to find out, you can just buy it separately for $10, which is a thing EA's been doing. Battlefield Five had Battlefield that. Battlefield Five did that. Um, uh, so, I'm 99% sure I saw Star Wars Battlefront 2 cases that yeah, did that. Yeah, crack, Crackdown 3 did it. We saw Crackdown that Crackdown 3 we were was there. Uh, Pokemon Let's Go. You know, technically the game. That one included the game. That one was $40. Which is weird because it's not a collector's edition. Or any kind. It's just a steelbook edition. Yeah, it's like a bonus of whatever but, edition. But yeah, but, people yeah. are totally willing to pay for that hmm? because they're dying of digitally, which is go- saying something too that. Or they're getting them physically like RJ did. Uh, and they want the steelbook. Yeah. Well, and I do think, though, that there are a fair amount because even people like me who prefer all digital will get those. For 10 bucks. it seems like they're uh, making more money off of them yeah, for $10. Yeah, because when people think about it as like a digital thing, they think about it as space. Some people think that. I think that in particular because yeah, of physical like... Physical space. Yeah, yeah physical space. So. But another thing is is, is just the ease of like switching games, like yeah, not having to move definitely. at all because I'm a big old fat lazy sloth. Well, we've talked about that a lot. I just I was curious about that because I noticed it. Uh, we got two more things left, and the last one's going to kind of be a uh, segue into the last of that. So, rumors hit this past week of Sony looking to acquire Take Two and its subsidiaries like Rockstar Games, and that would also mean that they would pull in a lot of the IP that Take Two own, which is like Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead from Rockstar, uh, as well as Bioshock and games like that. That Two K is or that Take Two, sorry, has had. Uh, Sony responded by saying that these claims were false, which mirrors very, very similarly to what we saw when there were rumors abound that Microsoft was going to be purchasing and acquiring EA, which we saw also fell through and didn't come, be, didn't become true. I don't even. These rumors are so interesting. I'm curious as to how they start. Do you want to see the newest rumor of them all? That's really kind of cool. 
that I'm actually somewhat excited for because I've been saying this should be a thing. Well, here, I, I would even say the argument for this is, is interesting enough. I'm not surprised. Yeah. EA Access yeah. on PS4. Well, and I still think that that's been kind of percolating. We've seen EA talk about adding services to things. EA's been so, wanting to do it. It's Sony that didn't. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I, so many people are asking for. Yeah. But it's not a that, bad service. I just think that this is really interesting because I could get, like, of course, I'm not saying that I thought that this was going to happen. It seems very unlikely. But if we're going to start talking about the fact that let's say that we move towards, let's go craziest future, right? Let's say for some reason you're completely right, Saul, and that 20 years from now, there's not even a need for a console. People are just entirely fine with giving up local processing power just to make it to where they instead play on the platforms and that Xbox and Sony, PlayStation, all those, 10%. they become just platforms that you can play over a stream thing. So like you buy into Sony's streaming platform and you stream every game from them and you get and you can order a controller that's their controller. So if you prefer that, if you do Microsoft, you get Microsoft's UI and their controller if you prefer that. And that's how they kind of do that. Can I flip a switch and the console changes? I guess like the UI I, I don't, will change. I don't know. I, 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 it may be that you have to pay for the subscription from that particular platform. In a perfect world with unlimited data caps and, and fiber internet of like, or I'd say, what is it? Gigabit internet. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, absolutely. That'd be the way to so, go. But what, what I think is like, so think about that, right? In that future where there is no need for a console anymore and that everything's based around services, what's going to make or break a company and keep them around. It's going to be a couple of things. It's going to be what services they can offer and pull together. Like Xbox doing games pass. It's one place to go to get a bunch of different games. That's one thing you can do. And then Xbox is also charge. wanting to do their streaming thing right now. So they're already working on that. So that's how you do that. But the other way you do that is exclusives, right? Draw people to you. And then also games, even when they're not exclusive. Well, that's how you do things now. Yeah, of course. But it, it's going to, it's going to, profit wise, it's going to live and die off of that. Now, of course, profits have always been uh, based primarily around game sales, you even for third that, party. Though. You could argue, like, if you say, if you would say that Microsoft had no exclusives and Sony had all of them, but Microsoft's speed and inconsistency of playing was 100% and Sony's was 30 Sure. It's easily not worth it for Sony. Then you'd pull over. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. And maybe I worded that poorly. So I'll, I'll step back on that a little bit. But That my, was devil's advocate. advocate. Yeah, no, that, that's that. fine. I think I did word it poorly. I think that's fair enough. Uh, but what I'm kind of getting at there is that at that point, like we're in a weird situation right now where this whole generation, there's been actually profit motives from the place, like from the consoles themselves. PlayStation at launch was sold for like an $8 profit for the like, first time ever. Xbox as a system. was... I can't remember, but both... I don't even know if Xbox sold at a profit at five hundred, well, but eventually it made around to making a profit off the consoles. Base Xbox wasn't five hundred dollars. Uh, Xbox One at launch, yeah, it was five hundred dollars. There was no way to get it without the Connect for the first eight months or so. Oh, I guess that's right. Or I almost a year. I didn't get that for at launch. That's yeah, right. No, you didn't. You waited until the Connect came separately. I did too. Both of us did. Yeah, what was that base model called? Was it just Xbox One? Hmm? There's no S, no. Yeah, no, okay, S wasn't yeah. out yet. So that, but that's what I mean. So when you think about that, right? So now we're moving into a time where these businesses are going to stay around, not because of the technology, and they, they're not having to worry about product supply chains and contracts and whatnot. Instead, they're worrying on technology to run their infrastructures and whatnot. And there's two ways that they can do this. Sony stands to stay around as a business and make more money if they take in a high publishing role as well as things like being a place that you'd want to come to so they're, they're streaming service it you're going to make the most money if you're the one who gets the games that people always want so 
in say twenty years in the future, we're on Grand Theft Auto Eight, right? And Grand Theft Auto Eight comes out. Well, Grand Theft Sony Auto Sony has bought Grand Theft Auto, right? They bought Take Two. They own all the stuff for Grand Theft Auto. Even if Sony decides to put it out on every platform, they're making the money of people buying and playing that game. And that's just a smart way to stay around and future proof yourself. It is. So I actually, you know, as crazy as it is right now in our current, uh, you know, what do you want to call that landscape? I guess in our current landscape for gaming. It seems crazy to think that Microsoft would buy EA and Sony would ta- buy Take Two, but it's not really that crazy when you think about them trying to prepare for what's going to happen when the need for a console does potentially go away. We don't know if it ever actually will, but there is a future out there where you could see that everything does go to streaming potentially. I don't know that everybody's ever going to want to give up the benefits of having local processing as a whole. I know that uh, for me and you as people who are a little more bleeding edge tech, I think uh, definitely me, I would prefer to have an actual box there to operate than to roll yeah, out like, streaming. But if, if they came out with a PS5 and two variants, one for 350 without the hard, sure. without the uh, disk drive and one for 400 with the disk drive, I'd buy the one without the disk drive. Yeah, not even yeah. because the not even but because you, but, the, Yeah, because at that point, it's not about the physical media for you. It's about the local processing. Yeah. So, but, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. I just think that it's not as far-fetched of an idea as it sounds like immediately to a lot of people. A lot of people... And I get it. Even I, for a second, was like, wait, what? Why would they even do that? I'm not even saying that this ever even happened. One of the things I heard, uh, I think Ryan said in the Discord is, even if it was true, Sony would still deny it and because they don't want to even put something like that out if they weren't for sure. There's so many stock market ramifications of doing that that it would be, it would be terrible alone for stock. Because here's the thing. Even the rumor dropped stock for Take-Two. Yeah. And imagine if they actually... Or at least from what I saw, the, the, the rumor hit and then take two stock drops. Take two so stock drops, I think. You would imagine that there's probably a causality there. Five. But I found that interesting is all I'm getting at. And then we're going to go into this last one real quick so that we can get into these main topics. So this last one is continuing their promise to support No Man's Sky with free updates. Sean Murray and the team over at Hello Games teased the next big move for the title with Beyond. Aiming for a summer release, the first of three big features announced was No Man's Sky Online, which is an evolution from what was introduced in Next with the devs saying that it, quote, includes a radical new social and multiplayer experience, which empowers players everywhere in the universe to meet and play together, end quote. This sounds very much in line with what the game was originally intended to be and what people expected the game to be at launch. And it's a very exciting premise. Just to, uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but before we go too far away, uh, just to show you people how these rumors work and how they can negatively affect stock, is that on March 13th, Take Two stock was at $96. March 14th, it was $92. Yeah. It's a $4 drop in a day. And people don't realize that $4 is a lot in the stock. Or a, it, it's, it is a hit in the stock market. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's very interesting because it's based off percentages and whatnot. I will say, though, if you believe that that rumor still is there, this stock is $93.55. You might want to buy that right about now. <laughs> Imagine buying 10 stocks of a company that's about to be owned by Sony. $1,000. You never know. Could be thirty thousand. Who knows? Uh, so could be negative thirty thousand. The other two big features, because you know, I did say that Beyond's going to have three major features. The other two big features will be announced one at a time across separate dates as we get closer to the summer release that they're aiming for. Uh, I think this is a great idea. Oh. And what we're going to do is we're going to lead. We're going to let this lead into <laughs> <laughs> my heart. I know. Uh, uh. Look, I'm going to let this lead into the main topic. So, Saul. One of the things that we talked about 
Well, in last episode, was like the expectations for games as a service. And me and Saul were talking earlier, and one of the reasons we thought this would be an interesting topic is that No Man's Sky is a very rare example of a game that is technically a games as a service, or it's treated as such, because it gets uh, probably, at least I think since launch, there's been two major updates to No Man's Sky per year. Just about, yeah. I I can't ever think of what they're called either. Like, we just had the next update, but I can't think of what the one before that was called. Uh, there was Atlas at one point. I think that was it. Atlas the next. I think that's the only two we've really gotten, though. Maybe. I don't remember. Because the game gets constantly updated. Yeah, they're constantly um, adding things to and it. And they change things around. They but just do these up, update events. Like, and we, we essentially call them, for lack of a better word, they're essentially free expansions. Now, we've talked about it before. One of the reasons that we feel like they are doing this for free, uh, and I just feel like this is worth mentioning, is that Hello Games lived or died based off of how this how they were able to turn around No Man's Sky. If to turn around No Man's Sky took them putting out twenty dollar updates left and right to make the game close to what people expected at launch, public opinion was gonna drop very quickly on them. If instead they could make people buy the game more to help with profits on that side, uh, make people buy the game more by doing updates that bring it closer to what a lot of the people wanted at launch anyway, then the positivity and word of mouth around that will continue to grow and people will be like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and buy the game. And then even though the game is anywhere from what we, what we saw, like $10 in GameStop new for some yeah, reason so, right so now. I don't know those, why. Those that are curious, you could buy the game brand new at GameStop for nine ninety seven or fourteen ninety nine pre-owned. And we saw at Walmart, it was like $14.99. So look, they're getting anywhere, $23 on Amazon. Yeah, you're getting anywhere from $10 to $25 for the game right now. Don't buy it on PSN it. store, though, because that thing is still $60. Still $60, yeah. I wonder how often it goes on sale. And that's the other A thing, lot. right? So there, some of these people are buying the game digital for the first time ever and just paying that much for it. So sometimes they're getting as much as $60 for people getting interested in this game suddenly. So what I mean by that is it's very interesting because I feel like it was a necessity for them to do these things free. Uh, but it's working out for them, and I think it's going to do a lot for them. And it's allowed them to get to a place where they can actually say, we're finally going to work on another game, and we're going to show that game off. And do you remember the game they showed at, I think it was the Game Awards? Yeah, um, what was that game called? I can't remember. It was the, like the animal, right? Like you were you were as animal as in that game. No, I don't think it was that, but I can't remember what the game was called. Come about Hello Games, right? Yeah, um, and it was... I thought you were an animal. The, the Last Campfire. Was what it was called, and it was like a very. It looks like a kind of narrative journey like game, where or not narrative, I, I, it, more of like an experience game that kind of rolls through. Um, but I find that very interesting. You know, I, I think that they couldn't have done that. They couldn't have taken that step. They couldn't have just dumped No Man's Sky, done nothing for it, uh, or even done a lot for it, but charged out the butt for it. Okay, without... you're, yeah, you're a little creature. I, I was like, I know you're not a humanoid. I, I, yeah, you're not I a humanoid. Thought I was a rabbit or something. Uh, but the game looks interesting, and I don't think that they could have done it without that. So, I mean, this That's is true. why I find it interesting. Which also pandered, or not pandered, uh, which also attributed to them being called out like, oh, you did No Man's Sky for a quick crash, cash grab to make this game. Yes, which, which they've been able to completely... Like debunk. Debunk, yeah. And whether, you know, I mean, it, it's whatever. I think that we've talked about it plenty of times. I think they knew what they had before launch. I think they knew that they... It, they couldn't deliver the way they had been talking about for whatever reason we don't know, but they just couldn't. Uh, and the fact that they've been able to get it there is is cool, and it and it goes to help public opinion on them a lot. But we find this interesting because where this game differs from other games as a service in that essential sense is that they're doing it entirely free, and they're doing a lot of big things that people want out of the game. Where some of these other games are doing big updates to fix them and get the game to a point where people do like them or are drawn back to them if they lost interest for whatever reason, but they're doing it behind a paywall. And I find that very interesting because a lot of these other games are getting 
you know, flack for that and having to pay more money to get back into them. I know when I asked on Facebook, one of the things was people didn't want to spend money just to then spend more money on the game to get it to a point where they feel like it's where they like it. Right. It's a risk aversion, essentially. Whereas a game like No Man's Sky, you're at a point where you know that the game is going to continue to get freely updated. And I genuinely saw, can you think of any other example of a game that's done this? Technically Minecraft. Good, good example. And I, I and actually those are the types of games. So you're right. I I, I, I just was closed minded for a second. Uh, Terraria had a lot of massive updates. Free uh, ones. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. know I've been with that game. Uh, you came to the game very late, late. but yeah. the game is way different now. They've updated it past see, that. Minecraft. For free. Technically, um, Destiny's done a handful of free updates. Like what you're I, see. What well, that's hard to say too. But I know one did it. Uh, don't be wrong. There's been free updates, but not content updates. No, no, yeah, no content um, updates. I'm talking about like landmarking free updates that like made the game better. Yeah, no, no, and now Minecraft definitely had that a number of times. Yes, uh, I would say. I don't I, think Minecraft's ever had a paid update. No, they haven't. That's what so I mean. The only thing that they have that people might want to say is a paid update. Twenty dollars is the ability launch. to add um, well, the you, ability to host your own server, but that's paying for the server. Well, I was going to say they have microtransactions too. Yeah, sure. There, there's a like monetization. Skins. I'm actually, I'm really surprised. I don't think so. I don't think there's any microtransactions in No Man's Sky. I don't think so. No. Um, but one of the reasons I liked the idea of this topic is because Sean... If uh, so, I've definitely never seen it. People in our Discord know who Sean is. He's uh, he's one of my work buddies. Uh, we basically were talking about to, uh, today. We we're like, we don't really have a topic for the show. And he brought to my attention... Uh, dang it, I just now forgot about the name of the game. Do you remember no, what, no microtransactions. Okay, I thought so. Do you remember what game he was talking about? The survival one? It uh, just, it just scaled outward. again. Outward. Outward. So he was, he was talking to me about like, how is it that games like The Division 2 can come out, which uh, essentially look like Division 1 with some graphical upgrades. Yeah, I think but, The Division 2 looks... I'll, I'll say this. The Division 2 looks more... Like a jump forward than Destiny Two. Division did Two first. did not, or Division One did not look bad though. No, by it, didn't. Standards. it It was actually very pretty uh, for New York and, and snow. Had, yeah, and, and it had a lot of very small detail, like shooting the concrete and it busted. Yeah, and things like that. Things uh, that Destiny doesn't do at all. But that's what I'm getting. I think that the Division Two, I can see a more notable jump than I saw from uh, Destiny to Destiny Two. Destiny Two, you essentially. are blind. No, you are no. really blind. I, dude, and don't get me wrong. I I still have Destiny One. I will go put it in, and I guarantee you, it does not look any different to me. There's the only thing that I said that Destiny Two got a little bit better uh, was essentially uh, particle effects, and that was just really around lighting and whatnot. You know what I mean? There are, I promise you, there are things in Destiny. No, no, no. I said a jump. I'm not saying that Destiny Two is exactly Destiny One. No, I'm just saying that it's not there's, as notable. There's a notable jump there. I disagree. There's more. But there's, some of that goes into the fact that they never even decided, they never took the plunge to do what these other games have done. So Anthem in this example, and even things like The Division and Division 2, there's small detail that, that for whatever reason, Bungie refuses to put in. And I'm not saying they have to. They can stand differently. But it just it does have an effect on the way that you view the game from a how beautiful it is aspect. And one of those things is like, I talked about, right? All the other games. Anthem, when you step in water, does the water puddle up and splash? Yes, it does. Division, does it splash? Yes, it does. Division 2, when you shoot concrete wall, does it actually crack and break? Yes, it does. And you can continue doing it, and it'll kind of tear it down. And it'll eventually re will reset. That's all those games are set to be like that. But the Division, I mean, the Destiny 1 and Destiny 2 have none of that. When you step in water, you don't affect the water. Yeah. If it's a puddle. Even like Halo, you don't see that. reflections. So you I don't think, see anything. I, mean, I think that's Bungie with their engine work. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know if the the engine for Destiny One is similar to the engine for Destiny Two. I think it's um, the same engine. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, Halo to Destiny. Oh. I, I doubt it's the same engine. No, it's it, not the same. It's engine. the way they, <laughs> it's the way they work on the engines. I guess yeah. it's the way they like to. And you know how 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 like outrageous would that be if they come out and said Halo 3's engine is the same thing for Destiny One, and we have all for Destiny Two? I'm like, wow. I mean, they could. Don't be wrong. There's plenty of people who've used the same engine. Mortal Kombat Nine still on. Uh, Mortal Kombat Eleven still on Unreal Engine Three. It's an old engine. That's a very old engine. So what I year, mean, what year did that come out? 2006, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's my point. Uh, and look, I'm not saying that Destiny Two is not better. The most notable thing in Destiny Two was lighting. I mean, the, that was the it. lighting and the particles. There's there's yeah. like particles and but stuff. But not that are a going lot. On. Not a lot. But I they still, are there. They're still there compared to one, which didn't have barely any. Here's what like, I'll tell you. All of that. Look at that. Hey, Look I, at hold all on, them hold on. graphics. Hold on. Here's what I'll tell you right now. There is not a single thing in Destiny 2 that, or, or Destiny 1 at that point, that looks as good. Or that there's not a single thing in Anthem or the Division 1 or 2 that looks as bad as the waves on. Uh, Titan? Is that yeah. what it is? They don't look in that bad. They look so bad. They don't look that bad. They look so Come bad. Come on now. It looks like a PS2. No, it doesn't. I ain't really. You're just trolling <laughs> and, at this point. And that dumb tentacle that comes up and looks like a flat texture in the water. It's no, so it, bad. You, you just hating. You're just trying I'm to rob me up. But anyways. You know I like this. Back too, to what I was saying about Sean. He brought up the out, Outward? Outward, yes. Okay, yeah. It's I an RPG for anybody who name. doesn't know. It's, a, it's an RPG made Developed by a small by team of about 10 people. Yeah, so... Uh, that game's coming out, and he was he was bringing it to my attention. He's like, "How can games like indie games?" And he compared Dead Cells, um, War Outward, Wargroove, and he he was basically like, "These games are coming out at a much much lower cost with much much smaller teams, but they seem to be doing fresh new takes on genres and visuals, and they seem to be more fun as of late than sixty dollar uh, games that have been coming out yearly at this point." And or bi yearly, so he compared it to Battlefront, he or to Battlefield, Battlefield, Call of Duty, um, Division. Kind of, he he mentioned Division, but that's not near. I don't mean that's a yearly game because obviously it's not. Sure. Um, but and he had a he had an interesting point when he said that are these games really worth the sixty dollars you pay for them when you compare them to the budget to, uh, in indie games that come out that you're getting. You know, for what you're getting with Dead Cells is the same as what you're getting with Division 2, or is that point, is there more content in Dead Cells? Is it based off experiences at that point? Amount of replayability. And the amount of replayability. How you. Now, and, and that was what me and Saul talked about. That's such a weird thing. It, it's an odd thing to try and look at because... It's entirely subjective. One hundred percent subjective. So, and that's that's where I think the base of this conversation comes down to is that when you are talking about discussing, showing off, and uh, partaking in these kind of games, it comes down to what sixty dollars means to you personally, and if that value was had through the experience you had with the game, despite the quantity of the game, and if that makes sense. So, what I mean by that is that. We've said it before about the order. I I always had said the order should be around, I would say, 30 new when it first came out back then. And then. Yeah, I've always said that I do think the order would have done a lot better as a $40 launch. Yeah. So. And I think that that, that expectation had been already set. I'm not saying it's $40 games. I'm not saying it's a bad game. I don't hold anything against the game because I never paid 60 bucks for it. I paid, I think, 10 or 20. I think think 10. Um, But with games such as Anthem, Anthem came out. And I bought it on launch day, and I have played probably four hours of it, and I'm waiting to go back. Is it a waste of $60? I don't think so, because I know that eventually 
that game is going to be updated, and I'm going to be playing it with you and Cody maybe and Corey and RJ and maybe even Blake if he gets it. Uh, so for me, subjectively, no. That no. game was not a waste of $60, but that's the thing, subjectively. Yeah, because the devil's somebody, advocate side of that comes in to say all of those things you just said are true. The game could be updated to a place where it's even better. And you, yep. really right now, you just haven't had necessarily the time, so you don't even feel like you're really messing, if, missing out. Yeah, you're just kind of playing with Especially Devil May Cry 5. Yeah, so in that sense, just to play devil's advocate, is that you know you say it could always be updated, uh, and you've already paid your six dollars, and you'll get your value out of it eventually. Some people will say, "Well, then why did why didn't you just wait to buy it? It wasn't worth the sixty. Later, they do all these updates, makes it even better. You can buy it when it's on sale for forty dollars. Then you get more value out of the forty. Because yeah, because you say, and $40. I just I just did the same thing with Far Cry New Dawn. So you know, uh, I, I, that's a devil's advocate thing there. But it, you're right. And I mean, the interesting thing about based the off of your own subjective. That's what I was gonna say. Is the interesting thing about the devil's advocate is that when you are te- typically explaining a situation like that, yeah. you're almost always making it out to be the best deal, no matter what, for the person describing it. So if somebody told me like you would have had a much better time if that game was forty dollars and two years when it was updated and you mm-hmm. had friends to play with. Typically, they're almost projecting some of their own thoughts of what they want the game to be at when they bought it at that price or when they bought it. Yeah. So, like in their mind, it feels like, yeah, I would have enjoyed it more at 40, so you would have they're, too. Yeah. They're, well, they're projecting what they wanted in the game and what they think they are pricing it as per- appropriate. Because, you know, you can say, like, you would have had more fun with it then. In the time that it takes for that game to say, go on sale and have all these updates. I could have easily gotten $60 out of enjoyment because that enjoyment to me was subjective. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it can't be placed by somebody recommending me to wait or anything like that. The same goes for Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil 2, $60 game. Can be beaten in an hour and a half. Doesn't mean it will be. Doesn't mean you'll spend three hours on it if you do two playthroughs or whatever. You can easily play that game, go through it like I have at about 11 to 12 hours, still not beat the game because you need to, about we got about three hours left, two hours left, and then replay it again. I'll get roughly third, not quite 30, about 25 hours out of it. Even if I don't play it again, even if I don't beat the game, the $60 I spent on that game so far has been more than worth it. And the classic title we always go back to at this example is Terraria and how we will spend $120 for that game if we had to because of the amount of time and enjoyment we got out of that game. And it's a crazy thing because I used to tell Saul beforehand when it, before he ever even played Terraria, and that's a, that's a, that's a, is a great go to example. That's for been us. a while too, like four years ago. Yeah, when it, before he had ever played it, uh, and you know, well, we before were, I got sold on it. Yeah, we we were he, he'd kind of hear me talking. I'd say that he, you know, we'd be talking like, well, would you ever pay a hundred dollars for a game? Because you know, like I said, we already did these types of conversations back then we just didn't record them and do it as a podcast so what i love about it is that we would it's still really, be doing this yeah. whether or not there was a camera here or not and that's so interesting uh but you know the, the thing about terraria is I, I remember telling saul we were talking about well games will probably eventually go up to like 80 dollars or 100 dollars, and i was like you know what's crazy though is every game has its own value i would have gladly and i use skyrim as a good example too i would have paid 100 like in retrospect looking at what i did for skyrim i would have been okay paying 100 dollars for skyrim Two, Personally, two, and then Terraria, a game that's twenty dollars, I would have been okay with seven years old. Terraria, probably. I think it came out in twelve or thirteen, so six or so years old. So, like two games that always pop to mind for me are Grand Theft Auto Five, yeah, and Skyrim. I have bought Skyrim twice for the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, once for the PS Three, once for the Xbox One, once for the PS Four. So four times. And I think I paid $60 every time. 
I think you're right. No, I didn't. What was the Skyrim Game of the Year collection for PS3? $40 it came out at. It already had... The Game of the Year for PS3? No, it was a $60 Was release. it? It had Dragonborn and then the... Um, um, not Shivering Isles. That's Oblivion. What is the other one? Dragonborn and then the... What was the Morrowind thing? Or is that No, Dragonborn, Dragonborn was Morrowind thing. The other one was the uh, vampire thing. And I can't remember what it was called. Oh, yeah, you're right. Dang. I don't know Dawn Guard. Dawn Guard, yes. Um, so and I paid $60 for it every time. Grand Theft Auto Five. I bought once on the Xbox 360. No, twice on the Xbox 360. Once on the PS4 physically, and then once on the PS4 digitally. So four times on that as well. I did not buy that game that many times full price, though. I know that I got Grand Theft Auto Five with trading credit one of those times. So yeah. I technically paid 60 bucks three times, so yeah, but 180 still, you spent the value there regardless. So even if they weren't actually, 60 you, you're averaging over you know 100, over $200 probably at that point. I just booted game. it up this like past four days ago and just drove around in it for a little while just to hang out in it. Like yeah. I was watching Soda Pop and Let's Play or Role Play It. If you uh, if you like funny Grand Auto stuff, which sounds like something a fourteen year old guy would enjoy or something, but like Soda Poppin is a streamer on Twitch. He's doing a role play series, really good. But yeah, like I'm still getting enjoyment out of that game. I still got Skyrim physical on PS4. Um, but yeah, it's like these games to me are worth more than I've okay 180, and then uh, four times six is 24, and so what is that 420 dollars? So. $500, let's just say after taxes and everything and all that time spent, I have enjoyed those games more than $500 worth. And that's very subjective because there are some people who wouldn't be caught dead buying the same game twice, let alone trading in the game like I did with Grand Theft Auto to buy it again. So that goes to really show you how subjective it is when it comes to stuff like this. And I do think that Sean is onto something. Sean does have a good point about indie titles coming out at a faster pace with more variety, being at a really fantastic price point. And of course the quality of them being on par with something you would experience with the $6 game with while being fresh for the most part quality though. It quality is a hard word. What's well, subjective. And it, I, I don't even know if I everything say subjective. is subjective. Hold on. There's some objective value to quant- to quality because well, you can objectively give a value to graphical quality, right? You can say, what is this graphically quality? Speaking? Yes. Art style, no. Yeah, that's what I mean. Which is so it's like which, well, these are the things you do. You can go, okay, well, what resolution does it run at? You know. Yeah, we'll just say like what, what? that is a quantitative. You right. can you can sit there and say, okay, that is we can quantify that quality. Right. We can actually say that this is a it's, higher it's, quality in this aspect than this. And one those two comparisons aspect. are made at that point objectively. Now, yeah. which one you like better is obviously subjective. Yeah, there's still things. Um, that, even though a game is objectively better in one area, you may still subjectively like the other because of something yes. you choose to do. Uh, uh, your personal preferences and stuff. And which, yeah. when he talked to me about it today, I, I, I was like, you're onto something with that because it makes sense. When you when you typically look at it as a as a very broad spectrum, but when you start to piece it together and piece it out and start really analyzing it, you do have things like the he he brought up the division and he brought dead cells. So we'll just compare something similar to those two in that way. And what I mean by that is you have dead cells that came out at twenty, you had division that came out at sixty. Which one is the better value for for you is what you're going to be the de- decider upon. And some people are going to be or have way more of an enjoyable time with the division two. Sorry. I don't know why I got, I was like, is it still sunlight outside? It's uh, daylight saving time is messing with me. Uh, but division two, you're going to, some, some people are going to have more, more fun time with that. More fun. Yeah. Yeah. Those are words. Uh, you're going to have more fun time with that. Some people are going to have more fun and more enjoyable time out of dead sales. So when it comes down to that, 
I don't think that they're comparable in terms of in, in terms of that when you really think about it. Because cost is one of those weird things. So I know that one of the things he brought up that was very interesting, uh, and and I get it. I get why you think it immediately is that a game like Dead Cells comes out at twenty. Uh, and you spend 50 hours with it versus a game like The Division 2 that comes out at 60, and maybe you spend 50 hours with it. Or you could just honestly relay it to Anthem. Like, if you say, I bought, because this is personal experience, I bought Dead Cells, 20, actually it was 17 with the pre-order bonus. Yeah, me too. $17, and I spent probably 40, 45 hours onto that. I bought Anthem for $60, and I spent about four hours. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you could break it down and say, well, yeah, for indies, that, that's pretty good for me keyword for me because there are people who have bought dead cells who did not like it and there are people who bought anthem that did and then have played more time in it so when you really compare it it's really hard unless you're comparing on a person by person basis while keeping that comparison in mind and that's why i think it's so hard like that you know you say well well, i think this game is so much better than that game and it doesn't mean that that's not true because that's that's it's an opinion it's your truth it's your opinion You've you experienced both, and for some reason, that cheaper game rang with you. And I'm one of those big people. I never think that price gives anything for value of a game, realistically. But yeah. when you look at, you know, there are things that you can do. When we say value is subjective, there are also other things. So, like, you know, perceived value is subjective. Which is, yeah, an interesting part in video games because it's almost, like, it's almost rare that that comes up. Yeah, where real value, or at least what I mean by that is, you know, value that you can actually sit there and, and logically piece out to why the, the value in terms of how much the game cost you. So when we get, when you tie back into cost, like we talked about, you know, dead cells can afford to come out of a $20 game because it was made by a small group of people. Right. It has no uh, motion capture, no, no voice acting, no real story. There is voice acting in dead cells, isn't there? I think if there is, I don't think there is at all. If there is, it's like, like, you know, kind of like the fake language that Rayman does and stuff like that. So just kind of, Rayman did Pig Latin for which a while. Is, which is a funny thing because Rayman is made by a AAA developer. Yep. Or, well, Origins was. And then what was the other Well, one? Rayman is also a very old series. So that's one of those things. Uh, it, it's, it, it is a AAA <laughs> series, but it's a AAA Wait. series that has expectations set from a... Was Ubisoft considered AAA back then, though? Like yeah. with Rayman 2, The Greatest Escape? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that was when they were doing... You know, that was not shortly after that they were doing things like, you know, Prince of Persia and whatnot. So they were always, they've always yeah, been Yeah, man, that, dang, that's an old series. Yeah, very Time much. Time is flying for uh, me. But that's what I mean is like, you know, there are things that you can clearly look at and give a point to and say, well, this is why that cost break is there. Whereas that game can do that because it's a short game. You know, realistically, you can you can replay Dead Cells over and over and over again. And these are just our examples. But, you know, I put about 50 to 60 hours into Dead Cells. Um but the thing is, is that when I finally got to where I beat Dead Cells, it's a game that it's just about you slowly mastering and how much of the game you want to back off to where when you get to the end, you can finally do it. It's like a game that you build towards. But I've seen people go on to Dead Cells and beat Dead Cells their first run, which has been very rare, to be fair. Yeah. But it can be done, and it's to say that it's a game that technically, if you want to start it and finish it and be done with it, you can do so in about an hour. It's also really hard to compare roguelikes to anything in terms of value because roguelikes have the potential to have unlimited value when mm-hmm. you really try to piece it all out. Let's go to other unlimited things. potential, I should say. Let's, not let's go to other things, right? Speed running all you already mentioned Resident Evil Two. Speed running right. is one of those weird things. You can speed run Dark Souls based off of how you play Dark Souls, any of the Dark Souls games or any of the Souls so the, games, you there are optional bosses or areas you don't ever have to visit. Steal this from you? Yeah, I can. St- I can beat Dark Souls three in an hour and a half. Doesn't mean <laughs> I've you? spent. We have no proof. Oh, I have picture proof. <laughs> but uh, 
I have spent probably close to 100 hours trying to get to that point, though. Exactly. So when you just see somebody... There's two different values there. Yeah. One is how quickly can you beat it versus how how long long it took you to get to the point where you could beat it that quickly. Yeah. And, And that goes into those things. So... Time is one thing. So, you know, how much from the start to the finish of, of it does it take to and get? Once again, these are all oddly enough subjective values at this point, too, because sometimes somebody says eight hours for me is enough for a 60 hour game. Mm-hmm. Some people say 30 hours. Is but, okay, let's pull this back to what I was talking about. The value or at least the, the cost reasons that you can see between the two. These, t- these are the only things that aren't necessarily subjective. This is real. So team size, one thing. Whether or not they make a better game doesn't matter. It's about team size. So when a game that's $60 comes out, and you go, why is that 60 and Dead Cells 20 and I like Dead Cells more? Well, because Dead Cells was made by five or so. I don't really know the team size over at Twin Motion, but I know it's not very many people. So, you know, you say a team of 10 or less made that game versus a team on Anthem of probably about 150 to 200 the majority you, well, of the Well, you title. know what's actually an interesting comparison in this regard? Days yeah. Gone and Bend. Yeah. Having less than 30, right? No, Ben's not, I don't think it's less than 30, but they are a small team. They did ramp up for this, and they're ramping up more because apparently Sony thinks that Days Gone is going to do well enough to justify them going ahead and bumping up Bend, uh, which is cool. That's good to hear. Yeah, um, but, jobs for them. Yeah, that, that's a good example. Ready at Dawn's a good example for this, too, with the order. The oh, order was yeah. made uh, with exceedingly AAA values from a team that was half the size of a, t- a standard AAA team. I was going to say, wasn't it only like 60-something people? Something like that. Game? 60 to 90, maybe, which is very Actually, Small. Yeah, I think it was 90-something that um, he said that. Yeah, so it, it, that's very small for a AAA game normally. You look at games like Horizon that ended up having 200 people on it at some point. 200-plus. Yeah, and, and well, they're aiming for 200-plus with their new studio, but it's just... Oh, they definitely had 200-plus for Horizon. Yeah, right? if you count, you count things it like the contractors and stuff, yeah, maybe. You got, yeah, you got to. That's uh, all, all yeah, people who helped that's one of those, to the game. That's one of those things where... You can look at those things, but you know when you look at a sixty dollars game and you can see, well, it had voice acting. They had to pay people to do voice acting, and they wanted right. the voice acting. Even if they paid, even if they got bottom of the line voice acting, they still had to pay people to voice act. Yeah, I mean, then they even had then to, it's not cheap. Then they had to pay somebody to. Then they had to get developers to pay to either mocap it, or if they didn't want to mocap it, they had to pay somebody to animate keyframes out for all of these things yeah. they were doing. Right, that's one thing. There's real animation, not just hand drawn art style. You know, art style comes into some of it, but if anytime you have something that's even remotely photorealistic. Where you move, where you use mocap, the difference is obvious. Also, you're, you're almost taking the argument out when you really think about indie games because a lot of indie games are made with no funding mm-hmm. and sometimes by a solo person. Yep. So uh, when you look one, at one of the perfect examples of that, let's bring that in now uh, is Stardew, uh, Stardew Valley. Yeah. Stardew Valley was made by one person. Oh, man. Now I can't think of what, what is that? Chucklefish. Uh, well, Chucklefish published it. Wait, no. See, but it was one individual developer who made that entire game. It's a very interesting uh, story. It's in well, it's Jason almost, Schreier's book. It's almost Blood, oh, Blood, Pixels. Yeah, it's almost similar to Minecraft too. When you think about Minecraft notch, and not Notch, yeah. and then what it became, they only started spending money on Minecraft to advance it. Yeah, after it had already had millions of, da- or not, I wouldn't say millions. Well, after it had a notable thousands amount of people thousands playing. of downloads. Yes. Yeah, uh, and that same thing happened with Stardew Valley. Uh, where people also, on PC were able to play it really early on. Uh, but but look, I, I don't want to get game. too lost in this. Uh, essentially what I mean is that there is, for all, of, for all of the subjectivity in value, the objectivity and the real reasons that you can look at the actual pricing behind <coughs> something, because value is all just how do you perceive the time that you had within the amount of money you spent. 
right? Right. Because technically, free-to-play games would be uh, ostensibly the, the most valuable thing out there. Because if you can play a game like Fortnite, never spend a dime if you don't want to, and play for 100 hours, technically that is the best value you can find. Or you could be somebody who played the game for 60 hours and then spent thousands of dollars on microtransactions and still And it was time. still worth it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that, it, that is the ultimate... I guess free-to-play games is the ultimate argument that's why for, that's, that's why microtransactions really exist yeah uh, or like why they're so prominent yeah and i to, and i don't think that that's really unfair personally i think if you're going to put a game I mean, out free and you're going to say look you buy these things if you want them and if you want to support us and that's i've, all I've said before like i bought stuff on my or on fortnite way back when it first came out because or when the stuff for fortnite fortnite first came out because it's just like I'm having a good time. I paid $40 to get the game early. And, and that was the actual Fortnite game. So you can actually yeah. play the a real PvE. Fortnite, not yeah. Fortnite Battle Royale. So it's one of those things that's like, you'll hear all kinds of criticism and insults and all just general negative banter about people for their opinions and for what they think is this way and for what they think is that way. And I do think that when you really think about it, it comes down to being more of a... Um, subjective based argument most times yeah there are times like the quality where you're essentially comparing an a movie like avengers to a c movie i don't want to say any c movie names because i don't throw anybody's name on the bus garden state is technically a c movie yeah it's, made it, by it's, Zach an movie. it's a low yeah. budget movie yeah yeah so when a you perfect think, example like uh eternal sunshine on the spotless mind it's an indie movie i mean it's a th- great movie but i say you could put practical effects in there and throw stuff in like uh what is that rubber tire movie called where uh rubber I think, it's, I think it's just called rubber, yeah. Yeah, it's whatever it was called as that versus Avengers. Like, you look at the quality effects in that movie versus that, and there's so many... It's because there's so many more people working on it. The the, the budget much, 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 much higher. Yeah, yeah. And it's just everything when you take into account. Some people have more fun with movies like Rubber more than Avengers. Because it's a, it's a more unique idea, which pulls us back to one thing that I thought that we haven't talked about yet, and I love this... Uh, thank you. So you know, you kept saying that you Sean was on to something, and we've kind of we've talked about this before. I know I have on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, of you know, why do I feel like I'm getting more unique ideas and more risky ideas, and potentially depending on how, what you feel about th- which things resonate with you, a better value from indie games and maybe even double A games like Vampire. Um, so Vampire is my go-to example of a game that did a lot of cool, unique things while also being a $60 game while also looking surprisingly good and defying some double A game Any, expectations. Anytime you mention Vampire, I gotta see if it's on sale. Yeah, because it's still a cool game. Uh, but that's just, that, that's what I go to is that that's a game and these are perfect examples of games that can take risk because of exactly what you're talking about right there. Movies and gaming and all these things, these games and movies all become so expensive to make that essentially the people who are funding them, it's very rare they want to give you carte blanche to do what you want to because they have to do some things to risk avert when they're having this much money tied into it. Uh, now, I will say as a quick thing, I do think Sony has given their teams a fair amount of freedom to do what they want, even on multi-million dollar games, and it's paid off well for them. You're seeing Microsoft try and take that um, and moving forward, and hopefully it works out for them the same way. I do think that there's a level of, if you have very smart, talented people and you let them make what they want to make, they're going to make a game that's going to make you money back tenfold. The Last of Us is a perfect example of them just going, make what you want to make. We're going to follow behind it. Horizon right. Zero Dawn is a perfect example of giving a studio who has no expertise. Like days Gone, even when you really think about yeah, it. Yeah, Days Gone is giving a team that has not made an original franchise since Siphon Filter on the PS1 and not even made a triple A game. Even then, Siphon Filter, the two that we last got Dark Mirror and Logan Shadow were PSP games even though they came technically made a game since PS2 well what I mean well but that wasn't a new IP 
Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So essentially, since Siphon Filter 3 or whatever it is, I can't remember, but they've essentially made only handheld games of franchises that either they already had that was there to begin with, nothing new, or other people's games like Resistance Retribution uh, and our, Did they yeah, Retribution. Bubsy 3D? Yes, that was rather franchise before they were owned by Sony, I think. Um, well, there was a new Bubsy game that came out, right? But they didn't make it. So. Okay, that's, well, that's what I was asking. I think, I think the new one's Bubsy 3D, I think. No, Bubsy 3D is original, but they, made, they remade Bubsy 3D. Oh, okay, so yes. they had nothing to do with that. No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. So, anyway, where I'm going with this... Is it that you're right? That's a perfect example as well. These are people who Sony have given that ability to and has helped them out. But most of the time, you don't see these big companies do that. You see them instead go, "Look, we tr- we know that you're a good developer, but we're going to do a couple of things. Uh, we're going to give you as much autonomy as we can. But there's a couple things that we've got to say. Hey, here's what we're going to have to do because we got to play it safe so that we can make majority of this money back. And that's just what you have to do. I'm, superhero movies are the perfect example. They're good enough movies. They're fun to watch but they're safe. You know what to expect within them within reason. Pretty much, It doesn't yeah. mean that you can't be surprised from a story element, but you but it's, know it's, it's never... almost hard because of how... Well, that's also a weird example, too, because just how known the story typically is. That's another example because definitely comic books, people who are comic book lovers, all those stories are based around some version of a comic book. And even though they adapt them and change some things around them, they have a story basis that they're kind of set in. Uh, and... Games is probably a better example here where, you know, you have a completely original IP, uh, but even something like Assassin's Creed, right? Assassin's Creed was at one time a lot of crazy ideas that they took a risk on, and then once they found that worked, it was like no more changing for a long time. Assassin's Creed stayed very similar up until... And they completely shifted. Uh, up until Odyssey, essentially. Yeah. And then, or not Odyssey, I'm sorry, uh, um, or, or, Origins. Origins, yeah. Yeah, and then... Dang it, the similar names. Now, here's the thing. Then what did they do? They took a new risk on Assassin's Creed with some safe bets, to be honest, like RPG elements and stuff like that, but at least changed it. But then what happened? As soon as they knew that people liked that with Origins and they were already working on Odyssey, they said, roll on ahead with Odyssey because people are liking Origins. It's true. And it's he's right, and you're right, in that the fact that you're well, always going to get more interesting ideas out of these. Even, to be fair, even a game like Horizon took some safe bets like okay choice based narrative where you can choose what you're saying okay fine but realistically it's not that crazy right yeah uh, then you go off and you look at something like Vampire, which says every NPC in the game is a character with a name and with a purpose and in their own little community. They can get sick. They can die. If they die, it affects the community around them. It right. affects what stores are open. If you kill somebody or you let somebody die from sickness because of you not doing a good enough job. These are things that you don't normally see in games that are $60. But AA games allow you that ability and that kind of flexibility to try strange ideas that you wouldn't normally see in that realm. And that's kind of interesting. What's interesting that he led on to that, though, is that it's never been brought to my attention in that way. In what way? In the way of, like, somebody actually, like, or somebody bringing it up by thinking, like, you know what? Why do I feel like I'm getting a better value from these cheaper games it's very rare and like we've talked about it before i know like, sean of course that's, that's why i brought up vampires because yeah. he was also another advocate for vampire just like i was and yeah. he loved it so but go ahead sorry no i was gonna say it's not that i always can necessarily agree with every example he gave or sure. like that but it's it is an interesting thought and i want to pass that on to you guys of like is there what examples because we've talked about it way back early in the days of games like Terraria that we had fun with and we got more value than what we paid out of it. But I want to hear your guys' thought about, give me two games that you've played and you've purchased. I want I don't want to hear rented or borrowed. I want to hear purchased for this. I want to hear that a game you purchased at full price versus a game that, that, that is 
the base price of that game is $30 or less. And I want you to take those two games and tell me which one, out of comparing them together, which one you had a better time with, which one you had a worse time with, why. And it doesn't have to be anything bad. You can say, I bought Arkham Knight at release for 60 and then I bought... I don't know, Lego Star Wars at for when it came out remastered or something for $9.99. It could be anything. Um, but I want to hear what people are thinking below, and I want to hear the involvement of this because this is something for me that's I'm almost curious because this is a form, I'm very sneakily doing it, if I didn't say anything, uh, that I'm getting recommendations for any things I want to look out for. <laughs> because I'm always interested in hearing games that people and those, have gotten tons of value out of compared to AAA games that aren't AAA games. Yeah, and I th- th- like Sean's talking about these games that are so easy to go under your radar. Yeah, they're because they're, that's that's the, and that's but what can I, be perceived a higher value. Well, that's the thing is that like if people may have looked at Terraria and thought like, oh, that's like a two D Minecraft game. It's like, is this a clone? Because there's a lot of Minecraft clones come Absolutely. out. Absolutely. But then when they may hear us talk about, it, they're like, well, may, maybe I should go pick this up if they if they say they want to pay 120 dollars for this game. Like double the value of a yeah. Like that price. sounds insanity, but I'm at least going to see what it's about. Yeah, like you look into videos for it and stuff. So I want to hear that in the comments sure. and uh, Discord and on Twitter and on our YouTube page, and uh, I mean our Facebook page, not YouTube page. I mean, yeah, that's what I meant by comments, though. But and I'm, I'm going to extend kind of off of Saul's, and I think that this is essentially what he's getting at. But I want you to give me an example of an indie game that you feel like, in your own opinion, was more valuable than the AAA game that you've played. Doesn't matter what it is. It's a game that you feel like was more valuable than any AAA game uh, in terms of like you felt like it was more valuable than what you'd expect from a AAA game, as well as a AAA game that you bought that you don't feel like exceeded or even met the value price point that you had. Just because it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to see. And I will use the same thing. Definitely on the indie game side, I actually really love indie games. I've had a hard time playing a lot of them lately, even though I try to sneak them in and get Platinums on them because they're fun. I like doing that. I like supporting smaller developers as much as possible. Um, yeah. So that's one of those interesting things. I want to get some recommendations too. So let us know what you think. Uh, And of course, if we get anything that we like, we will talk about it next week on our The Community's Take segment. Hope you guys are enjoying that. If you are, let us know. And if you listen to this on podcast services, specifically iTunes, consider giving us a review, letting us know what you think about it, what you do and don't like about the show. This helps get our numbers up there, helps people find us, helps people know if we are good or not podcast. And a lot of you have already done that, and we appreciate it very much. So, uh, But until next week, I think this is about the best spot to end this podcast. So we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, guys.